This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. You're listening to Deadset Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a fully independent podcast about podcasting with a global focus and perspective. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. Hello everybody, Josh here. Welcome back to Deadset Podcasting. Today is part two of our little mini-series which I titled Mistakes Made Over Nine Years of Conversational Audio. So I don't know if I mentioned it in the previous episode, but a lot of what I'm going to be talking about across the next couple of episodes, including the one just gone, is mostly for conversational shows. So a host and a guest or two co-hosts and two guests, a multi-person chat show, for the lack of a better term. So if your show is aimed at the academic market or it's science-based where you're referencing a lot of research or you're doing an audio drama or an audio fiction, this advice, although parts will still be applicable because I listen as a fan to a lot of shows like that, this is mostly for conversational chat-based podcasting. Our topic for today is something that held me back in my early days as a podcaster because I was very confused as to how I wanted people to think about me. If you were to listen to a lot of the shows that I did between 2011 and maybe 2016-ish, I was trying really hard to be seen as an intellectual. I was using a lot of complicated language. I was using a lot of concepts that had a lot of subtext. And I wasn't being particularly clear and probably not that enjoyable to listen to and certainly not as funny as what I thought I probably was being at the time because I was stuck using what I would call elevated language, which is a phrase we'll go back to. And as I mentioned in the intro, I've got no issue with elevated language as an idea or even as an execution in a podcast. It's just maybe it's not as appropriate to a great broad swath of genres like I thought it was. So here's three reasons that I came up with that it's a good idea to keep your language as simple as it needs to be. Number one, if you and your guest get into a vocabulary contest and or you start using elevated language just for the sake of doing it, you pretty much will, in a general broad-based conversational type interview show, you will be leaving a portion of your audience behind. It's by definition unavoidable. So are you prepared to do that? You need to think about that question. Number two, if you as the host start to use what's called elevated language, and I'll cover off more precisely what I think elevated language is later, but I think it's important in your own mind maybe to form what you feel at right at this moment elevated language is. If you as the host, and sorry, I've just moved forward on my seat here so I could breathe a bit better. (laughs) Sorry, so I'll probably sound different. If you as the host start to use elevated language with your guest or with your co-host and guest, you may give that guest the wrong idea about who your audience is, the type of language they like, how intellectual they are, how educated they are. If you bring on a very credentialed academic, for example, and your goal is to either humanise or clarify or both, 
a difficult concept for the average person and you start using a lot of big words, your guest or guests might think, oh, well, I don't have to dumb this down at all. I'm here to give the science as it is and I can talk maybe the way I do with other professors at the university or other people in the think tank or whatever it is or other experts. And I know that this is something I hear particularly on Australia's ABC is that quite often the host, for whatever reason, and I love the ABC's programming, it's among, in my opinion, in the podcast world, some of the best in the world. If the host, for whatever reason, has to prove that they're smart to the guest by elevating their language at some point in the interview, sometimes those interviews go off course because they've opened the door to their guest moving more into a academic didactic presentation style and it loses the conversational flow. So I would avoid moving into a super intellectual form of language out of the blue in an interview because you may go off course. Number three, you'll save yourself and your guests having to, I guess, explain definitions and terms as you're moving through the interview and continuously putting a stop on things. Big word, red light. A little bit more conversation, another big word. Oh, can you define that in this context? Red light. So not only are your listeners most likely, you know, driving to work, copying more red lights than they want, but you're putting red lights into that conversation they're listening to. That's double red lights, folks. No one likes that. So I'll just recap those three quick points before I tell you what I think elevated language is and how you can identify when you've maybe slipped into that kind of presentation style. Number one, if you get into a continuously elevating vocabulary contest with your guest, you're going to leave some of an interview show type audience out of the conversation and potentially frustrated. Number two, you may accidentally convince your guest or your conversational partner that there's a base level of knowledge in the audience for language around the topic that doesn't actually exist. And number three, you'll avoid putting red lights in the conversation every time a term has to be defined or an overly complex word has to be put into context by yourself or the guest. So just quickly, what is elevated language and how can you maybe catch yourself when you're moving into using it? I've got two points here. Number one is anytime you choose a word where a less complex, more widely understood word would be just as applicable means that you're forcing a lack of understanding into the conversation. And maybe I can put that more simply myself. If a simple word would work and you choose intentionally to use a complex word, there's less people in a general interview, broad-based kind of audience that are going to understand what you're saying. An example of that might be using a word that I would use all the time, just expecting people to know. And I got told the other day, Josh, not many people know that word and you say it a lot. Extemporaneous. A lot of the time, I could quite easily just say the phrase, off the cuff. And 90% more people will get that. And that's great for no other reason than the fact that I don't look like a douchebag trying to use big words around people that don't actually get them because not everyone's going to tell you that they don't get them. Because sometimes people won't admit that they don't know what you're talking about. It's only when a good friend pulls you up and says, Josh, when you say contemporaneous or extemporaneous or all these words that you choose to use day to day, we don't all know what they mean. 
if a simple word can be used, use the simple word. Because no one in your audience is going to punish you for saying off the cuff instead of saying extemporaneous, but they might stop listening if you keep doing the opposite. So number two, and this is probably the real clincher, if you use language that is so complex that the meaning can't be figured out from context, then you're really in trouble as a host or a host and guest because people enjoy figuring out what a word means from context in a conversation. But if you're using language so complex or words like verisimilitude, which I've always found contextually murky in a conversation, like, ah, is that the perfect word there? Or do I just not understand what verisimilitude actually means? Just for anyone who's wondering, it means the appearance of truth. But I've heard that used in so many contexts that maybe that's not what it means. Maybe my understanding is wrong. And when I hear that word now, because it's so murky in terms of the different contexts that I've heard it used in, I guess I trust the person saying it a little bit less because I'm not sure if they get it because I don't get it. If you're trying to save time giving context to your audience by using a word that encapsulates a lot of what you might say in more simple language in one word, maybe still use the word, but give a quick, I know, contextual explanation as to why you chose that word. So yeah, I think if I've made any mistake over the years besides not being consistent with my podcasting and bumping the mic with my thumb, for some reason I've started doing that lately, out of nowhere, talking with my hands, I think, from doing stand-up. I think it's that I've chosen words that are too complex too much of the time and got no benefit out of it because all I've done was driven away people that maybe don't want to admit that they didn't understand all the language. So over time, instead of thinking, I'm so smart, I use big words whenever I can, I congratulate myself when I say something simply now, when I can boil down a complex idea that, you know, it could be easier to explain using complex, more scientific or more expressive language. But if you find a way to say something simply that the greatest number of people can understand and enjoy, that's an achievement. So congratulate yourself for that. And stop trying to be a vocabulary wizard or aka douchebag like I was from 2012 through to, you know, as far as 2017, I was still doing that. Righto, guys, I'll leave it there. I did say I was going to keep these short. That hasn't happened yet. The next episode in our series is called Too Much Editing, Too Little Humanity. I'm pretty excited about that one because it could be a little controversial because I'm going to push back against how much editing a lot of people do and particularly against how much I used to do, which was a lot. So thanks, guys. If you got any value out of today or you think the show's worth throwing a few bucks at, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash deadpod, buymeacoffee.com slash deadpod. The show's listener supported, so that would be amazing. If you need a podcast edited or you know someone who could probably use some editing on their show, deadsetpodcasting.com slash services, at Joshua C. Liston on all the socials. You guys are amazing. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry I'm just not keeping these things short, but I kind of get into them, then I'm going off the cuff and, you know, letting things flow. And that's where a lot of these things that I've learned about conversational audio over the last two to three years kind of come out. Just record it. Just say it. Just go long and see where you get to. 
because I know most of the best stuff that I've said, particularly funny stuff over the last two to three years, that wasn't on a piece of paper. That wasn't written in a script. That was just stuff that happened. So I'll leave you with that. Have a great week and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.